0: My name is Andrew Tan and this is As Asians. Every episode, we talk to a different awesome Asian professional covering topics such as navigating careers, the Asian identity, and ways on figuring out this thing called life. We hope the stories and advice from this podcast can inspire and help you to chart out your own path. Today we talk to Yongsheng, a director at Blink Technologies who got his start as a project manager. We talk about his experience working at a technology company Coming from a non technological background and how being a bit jaded in life might be actually a good thing. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Yongsheng. All right, so on today's podcast, we have an old friend, uh, Yongsheng, who is recording with us from Singapore. I'll let Yongsheng introduce himself.
1: Hi, hi, Andrew. Uh, I'm Yongsheng. Um, and basically, I'm a bit of old friend of Andrew. Uh, in- I used to call him Irong, so there was a pause moment, (laughs) (laughs) but yes, I've been an old friend of uh, Andrew since we were in secondary school. So that's like when we were in 13, 14 years old and things and yeah, we have gone way back. So yeah.
0: Yeah. uh, I know we've Mm -hmm. known each other since, And for those people who don't know, secondary school is kind of similar to high school in the US and we've known each other for about 17, 18 years now, which is a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm not a good, good at math now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, about what you're doing right now as a job? How did you get there? What did you kind of study beforehand?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, so maybe just about my job first. Right now, um, I'm a director in a um small big, um, software development company. So um, it's called Blink Technologies, and we have been working for about six years going so Yeah. So um, we do any kind of web application, uh, custom mm. development. Uh, That's our main um, line of work. Of course, we also do um, many kind of like technological advice, recommendation, as well as project management um, in many different kind of fields. Yep. So yeah. that is basically what I do as a work right now. Um, as for study, I've been studying. I guess. I would start from poly. I studied games design development, so this is kind of my background in the IT field.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But in university, I decided to venture into something that I have always uh, enjoyed reading about is uh, sociology. And um, when I was studying sociology, I got very interested in organization, organization sociology. So what I did was that I decided that I want to, like you know, work in a field of uh, in SME. Um, to to take a look at how organizations are like and that's where I got opportunity to work as a project manager Mm -hmm. um, in one of these IT firm and yeah that's basically bring me to where I I am here
0: today. Yeah and so you you mentioned game design and then also interest in sociology and the company you're working is very tech focused and uh, unless you guys are also designing games, <laughs> I'm very curious to hear uh, no. <laughs> How what kind of skill sets did you take from both your interest in sociology and then also having some background game design to now working in a company that, you know, designs apps and focus on technology. And I know you mentioned a project manager role. So is your role more on the business side of managing the coders and technologists who are mm. behind? Yes. Um, yep, that's pretty much it, actually. So the thing is, um,
1: largely I'm main in project management, uh, whatever. Like, okay, so each question first uh. mm-hmm. So first of a question is like, um, how does game design relates to whatever I, uh, I'm doing today? Basically, not so much. So one of the thing is that um, we do do marketing, uh, small websites. Uh, that have interactive and games um, elements to it. I would say that it doesn't translate as much. One of the key things that really translates is really towards my um, coding experience, the language. I learned a bit of Python and uh, about how programming language work, the logic behind it. Um, That's one of the things. The other thing is you making use of front-end uh, um, software. I, mm-hmm. I guess it would be like it would be Photoshop Illustrator and all this kind of thing to help generate icons or things that were developed fun So, yeah. So, that was pretty much what I got transferred over, mm-hmm. I would say. The other thing, um, largely, I would say that actually most of my base, it actually comes from sociology. Although it's like, you know, it's a very IT field and then when I talk to people, they will be like, oh, yeah, from games design and, and development, it probably helps. So, I was like, Mm, okay, I think my degree in university probably helped me more. Mm-hmm. A lot more about how to do research work, um, how to restructure uh, and think about certain things. Like, you know, when clients give you a requirement and you're like, okay, let me take that and think, like, which thing, what kind of thing makes sense, uh, what's the logic behind it, and how you frame the whole idea together. Mm-hmm. And then when you bring it across to them, right? It's also about how you relate to them, uh, to them. Um, and then you can even bring out like research articles or things like that. And say, that, okay, let's say you are going for this goal. Uh let's look at some of the evidence that has been proven in the industry. Um and let's give you an example. Lah. Okay. So it's a simple example, like usually uh people will talk about like um Mobile applications, right? Yeah. So that is a great in thing nowadays, right? So mobile application works in a way that uh, a lot of people think that mobile application will readily solve a lot of their solution. You get what I mean? Like, uh, oh, I, I want mm-hmm. to create something new and I want to build a mobile app on this. Yeah. Like, but a lot of people don't know that mobile application is um, very expensive to maintain. Uh, also, the upkeep um, to it and as well as the marketing. You need to have to get people to onboard onto your software, right? Can be very high. So um, typically, usually when uh, people talk about this, and then we will look at the industry research and things, and then we will tell them that you know the cost of building this can be very high. Is this something you really need to have? If not, if it's something that you are just testing out and things like that, right? Maybe you look for a much cheaper alternative, like um, like uh, that is done in uh, mobile response signals and things like that. So these are pretty much some example of what we, uh, what I use from my experience, uh, what I learned from university to yeah, pretty much educate my customer as well to tell them that okay, these are options laid out for you. Which one do you want?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's I was gonna link up to the next question I was gonna ask, which was oh. what about the okay. type of skill sets or strengths do you see? someone needs to have to be in the position and so it sounds like you've talked a few about it like being able to research being able to mm. break down certain concepts and explain it to the client if sometimes mm. the solution that they're looking for might be even more expensive or more cumbersome than a, a simpler and cheaper solution they can offer so i'm curious mm. were there other qualities or traits that you might look for someone to have when you're looking to hire
1: what kind of trait that's a very good question actually um, typically, I would think that one of the most important traits is that uh, someone need to have a strong background on how logic works. Okay, because in a certain sense, um, development uh, and in um, information technology or technology in itself, right, is about logical system and mathematical system. I wouldn't say I'm very strong in it. Okay, because you know the actual programmer that are doing the work, right? Which are my partners and some of my uh, employees and uh, people that I work with, right? They are stronger in that aspect. So from a very fundamental level, right, we need a certain level of uh, logical um, thinking to be able to say that okay, if you want to do certain things, you need to have um, A B and C. You know, it's like you can't get your answer without having some of these things in your equation. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I mean. So the thing is, it has to make logical sense. If let's say, for example, something doesn't make logical sense, right? Then as you go along to your project, then you realize that, okay, uh, I guess because I don't have the input and somehow the client wants certain output. So that I think is one of the most important thing to have. Uh, aside from that, I would say that uh, number one, you need to be able to come up with solution. So, research, just now the thing that I mentioned, right, is one part of it. But other things is that, you know, you need to, uh, when there are problems come up to you, a lot of time our customers, uh, our clients, or even people in the industry and things like that, right, uh, they come from different perspectives. So, the marketing people think about the marketing perspective, the business people think about their business then the programmers think about programming okay and it is really to match all of their own requirement expectation because although uh, one of them are very strong in their field they do not know the limitation of the the other um, Mm. so So there are a lot of moving parts so you need to get the logic in and then you need to be able to solve them and you need to be able to tell them that uh, okay this is how it should work so that is Come to my next aspect, which is the the soft skill, the human interaction. And sometimes you have to tell them that you know um, what you're thinking mm-hmm. is now doesn't make sense. But you cannot let them, you cannot make them sound too stupid. You know, <laughs> Get I mean? So yeah, so um, that's a tricky thing. So sometimes you have to tell them that okay, uh, I understand where you're coming from, and this is what is really important requirement, things like that. But in order to do this. You need to have to understand that there's a bit of trade-off or if you want to do this you can do it but that's a caveat
0: so yeah kind of like this. <laughs> i guess for for this soft skill versus the hard skill again I don't, I don't even know if logic you would count it as a hard skill versus you know a coding <laughs> language but do you mm-hmm. find it easier to train new hires in the hard skills versus the soft skills and kind of what ways have you found to be helpful uh, when building these skill sets
1: Mm, to train them, this is actually a pretty good question, because how should I put it? Um, in a certain sense, since uh, I would say that the firm I'm handling is not a very big firm, I would say that actually training is something that is very difficult for us to get the opportunity to. New hires have to be of a certain level of uh, understanding or like our minimum requirement. And they have to be able to hit that before we can say that, okay, we can bring you on to the next level. So in that sense, I would say that our skill probably, I mean, it's probably easier to teach them, to tell them that, okay, um, these are some of the things to take note of, and you follow us on a few of these requirement gathering, some of these meeting, and we'll work it out. We'll let you know that, okay, these are requirements that you should work out for. Soft skill, I would still say that um soft skill comes from a very different aspect. It is simple in a certain sense when they have a very open mind um and they are very willing to learn. But it can be difficult if, let's say, for example, you come from a what I say, a certain more stubborn nature, I guess, mm-hmm. which is not wrong because sometimes it's good to be stubborn, but uh it really depends on how open you are because when you talk to a client, it's really a very different thing.
0: Yeah. Gotcha, yeah. And so you mentioned, because the company you're working for is a smaller company, you just mentioned an SME, so a small medium enterprise. How, hmm. how do you find that experience? I know, I'm not sure if, you know, you can make the comparison to a larger, like an MNC, uh, a large size company that's very hmm. established. So what's that experience like working for an SME? And how will you describe the difference compared to like a corporation?
1: Okay, I, I, for me, I think that there is two part of this question. Because one of the things is like, um, number one, I have never really worked with, okay. yep. I worked as an intern under, in NNC before. But most of my working life, I guess is very different from internship in a certain sense. So most of the time I've been working SME, right? But for our project, we actually have worked with MNCs and SME before. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the two different parts. So I would say that working um, like, you know, the main company that I'm working in, in SME, right, um, typically you need to be able to be able to touch many different departments. In the MNC, um, based on my internship experience and things like that, right, is always about being a specialist. You have to be very good in what you're doing. in the SME, in my opinion, it's that you have to be good in a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that, that is my um, key concept of um, the differences lah, based on my experience. So would, think, would you
0: say the SME is kind of more like a startup type of culture where you flex many roles versus an uh, MNC where you are more focused on just kind of your job function and description?
1: Uh, of course at the end of the day, right? SMEs is a pretty wide range, although we always call it small, medium enterprise, but there are SMEs that you know of uh, of very huge revenue and um they have kind of a good setup. So they can also go through the specialist route and things like that. But I would say that um, typically for the smaller companies, so the micro SMEs, or uh, the micro enterprises or the small enterprises, yes, they will function more like, um, they will function more like startups. And typically, even if you are working in the HR or the finance department and things like that, you have to know
0: the cross department knowledge. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Gotcha,
0: mm. gotcha. And then besides that, in terms of, I guess. Work expectations for the job. Do you see mm. any cultural differences? Maybe having talked to friends who work in larger corporations versus your experience in SME? Or maybe some of your hires who came mm. from a corporation and an MNC and then now working for you guys in SME?
1: Sure. Uh, definitely. I mean, sometimes when we work with MNC client right? We also talk to um typically we don't talk to the boss boss. We we talk to the those people that are also working uh, with us, so their own project manager, or their own IT department, things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, also things like, you know, when we interact with other people that comes from uh, MNC background, I would say that the key difference is that um, typically welfare is better in MNC. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot to, um, to step up to. Number one, they are always fighting for um, the new talents. Because when you are MNC, right, you're fighting with the rest of MNC. So salary cannot just, salary is only one part of the equation. You also need to give them welfare. You have to uh, work with them a lot of different things. So usually when we work with MNC, we will realize that, you know, um, unless they really need to, typically they will be like, okay, uh, now it's off work hour. I will talk to you tomorrow. That kind of thing. Okay, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. But in Singapore, experience usually SME, right? Um, it is almost anything go. So, okay. Yeah. So they could like you know after seven or eight o'clock, and they will just drop you a message or things like that. But of course, unless it's something really important, typically I will ignore them until next morning lah. <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah, so in a certain sense, I will feel that um, so far as me, right, the the experience is that you need to really, um, have to be something that more willing to try new things, in a certain sense, uh, and also you have to be willing to uh, be proactive. Hmm. It's uh, not just being good in what you are doing. Yeah.
0: yeah. So so it's the main benefit then. To join an SME is if you're looking to flex in different roles, learn a lot and grow. Because you mentioned typically MNCs, they I guess have better work-life balance and their compensation and benefits are better. I so, think
1: it's all up to you while you're looking in life. Because if let's say for example you want to be the specialist route, that's mean like your end goal you want to be a uh, in an MNC and you want to be very good in what you're doing uh, so that you can go to the big companies, it's always okay to start with MNC because the opportunity they give you to work in the MNC level is very different. The requirement, the rate tapes that you have to go through, the, um, you know, the paperwork and all this kind of thing, right? It's some experience that you might never get in some of those smaller or micro mm-hmm. uh, enterprises. Yeah. But of course, in the S- SME, if you're more of the hustler type or you're more of like, you know, um, I just need to get things uh, up there uh, working and willing to ban a few rules and things like that. Uh, SME might be more flexible. You might feel more freedom in that. So it really depends on what you want. Either way is right.
0: Yeah. Sounds like it really depends on your character as well. Because typically what we hear of MNCs and corporations is that to your point, there's a lot of red tape (laughs) and things (laughs) might move (laughs) sometimes slower because of that. But I guess with SMEs, yep. because you're really focused on solving the problem and to your point, maybe bending a few rules here and there, and being creative in how you get the solution. You have a bit more <laughs> creative freedom in how you get to the end.
1: Yep. so no right and wrong. And um, definitely this more of a stereotypical view of the whole uh, MNC and SME. People might have very different um, experience in certain MNC that uh, choose to be very enterprising.
0: So yeah, yeah. So I guess your given your personal experience, what have been some of the challenges you faced? Because you've been working for quite a while now at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So given your experience, what some of the most memorable challenging experiences you've had at work?
1: Challenging experience. Hmm. Okay. I would feel that because um, my position as a director, uh, most of the time one of the key concerns is about um, getting the revenue in because there are always good times and bad times. Mm -hmm. And that is always something that you have to worry about because you have to keep the revenue coming in or else you're unable to pay your employee, right? So that's always a concern and a constant stress behind. And you do have to understand because, you know, if I'm working at a project manager role when I first started work, right? Um, all I need to worry about is keeping the, the project and the scope. Yep. Right. But when you move on to the higher position of a director and things, you also have to worry about the finances. Um, Whether when you take up a big project, right, whether you need to get uh, additional financing and yeah, to, to wait that out and to make decision based on that. And then you have to worry that, you know, um, if this month is doing really badly, you just have to wing it uh, and hope that the following month will be better. So I think that that is the most difficult part because for me personally, actually, I have a very risk adverse personality. <laughs> yeah, so mm. it's actually pretty scary sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how how do you balance that? I guess in terms of still being able to bring the revenue while resourcing accurately.
1: Um, I think this really depends on the situation. Certain times, we have to realize the fact that, uh, I mean, to be very honest, I'm very lucky because uh, I have very good companies, uh, partners that we are working with. Mm-hmm. So, um, most of the time, we kind of can negotiate um, around this and we can find solution uh, basically by finding the right people to work with. Um, so that is most of the time, but you know, sometimes you still do have a concern because uh, I, I guess it might be my personality type, but you still have to worry in a certain sense. So the thing is, you just have to understand that, okay, uh, if things doesn't go so well, uh, there are still avenues to, to work it out in the future. Um, yeah. So these are some of the balance, as long as you don't go beyond what you can take. Like you know, in terms of financing, we, we might be talking about loans, or we might be to- talking about a delay of payment and things like that. Right. As long as you don't do something crazy, like you know, something like oh, I'm going to take a million dollar loan to pay back. <laughs> like, I mean, even if you talk about the interest rate, you might not be able to tender if you are you know if your industry are not doing very well. Like if let's say multiply revenue, you can hit a million. Maybe that's all right, but then you wouldn't take like ten million card loan for that. So, you, you just have to understand that, okay, is something that is sustainable, uh, something that uh, even if, like, you know, the next few months you're unable to hit, it still make sense to you. Yeah. Mm.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I guess, given also, you know, the whole COVID situation hit back in the job market, you kind know, of what advice would you have for, you know, fresh graduates from college or university in terms of starting out their career?
1: Hmm. Fresh graduates um, in the terms of the COVID 19 background, right? Mm. Well, I guess I can give you a bit of context on the uh, Singapore background is that there are actually um, many different kinds of avenues that um, the opportunities provided by the government to support, like, whatever enterprises that you want to go for, even if, let's say, for example, you want to go for uh, further education. There are certain kind of funding involved but on a wider basis of a global i would think that okay so i always have this um, perspective when looking for a very first job okay if the economy is doing not very well mm-hmm. not be too greedy <laughs> yeah to not be too greedy um when i first started out right and i went for my very first interview Uh, The interviewer was asking, you know, one of the standard question is like, you know, what kind of remuneration you're looking for, right? Mm -hmm. So I told them that, um, to be very honest, okay, because I was in a sociological background, not from an IT background. So when I went for the first uh, IT job that I was applying for, I told them that to be very honest, uh, I'm not from this industry. I didn't graduate from this. So I don't expect a very high uh, salary, Okay. But mm-hmm. if you give me the opportunity, I will show you that I'm willing to learn and I'm able to um, I'm able to hit your expectation. And when they, that day comes, you know, when you come and renew my contract and things like that, right? I will hope that you will give me a, a reasonable or uh, something that makes sense to you. Yeah. A different salary. Lah. Yeah. Because my context to this is that every month you don't work, right? Actually, you might be losing out. So assuming mm-hmm. like um, in Singapore, a fresh crab you might be, I mean, back then, my days, I might be expecting about $2,000, okay, now it's a very different time, la. it's slightly better now, but um, I might be looking at $2,000 as a very entry level, slightly below average at that point of time, but um, to me, it's like, okay, if I don't work one month, I lose $2,000, right? So mm-hmm. the thing is, if let's say, for example, I couldn't find a job because I'm slightly like, you know, my expectation is I want to hit the average which be like 2004 and I couldn't find any job then uh, for six months, right? Then that is like, you know, $10,000 of dollars really.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, think you've, you've hit a good point. It's like having a good attitude when you're recruiting as well and being able to show that you're willing to step up to the plate. Uh, and then yep. having a bit of trust also in the company that does hire you <laughs> to give you that remuneration. Yep. And even if they don't, like even after your contract, you know, renews in six months or a year, you have enough work experience to say, hey, like I I can use this and leverage this for my next job when I'm job Yeah, yep. yep. I complete. mean, I kind of like threaten them. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, you know, if let's say, for example,
1: you know, you don't give me a good um, salary by then, then, you know, I might look for greener bachelor.
0: So did, did they? I assume they did because you're still with uh, them. Raise your salary, and how long did that take to make that adjustment? Oh, uh,
1: oh, that was in my very first job. That was then uh, when they first started up and I told them that I don't mind a lower salary. Then, uh, in fact, they offered me the average then, which was 2004. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good thing that I was looking at. Uh, after three months, um, they told me that uh, they are going to give me a pay raise. Mm. So um, I think it was about the fifth month or things like that. They confirmed it. Uh, then since then, uh, at that point, I was having $3,000. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it sounds Which like they, top they top were 100%. a good company. They did not <laughs> go <laughs> back county. on the word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I've, I've heard mm-hmm. horror stories of some SME companies in Singapore where you know, they always string you along for a long time. They're like, oh, you know, n- n- next quarter, next quarter will give you a pay raise. And then well, a year and a half pass and you're still mm. at the same salary.
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely. And my recommendation to that is that you need to know when to step out of the company. Yeah, yeah. So once no you realize that you work. have a value, yes. Once you realize that you have a value, usually I would say that maybe you first started up. You know, a lot of people are like thinking about uh, when I was still in uh, first or second year, I still don't really have experience. So should I continue with this company and uh, in Singapore, we kind of able to go for other job interview, you know, mm-hmm. and when the interviewer would ask you about, hey, um, I think you only have been working here about six months, but why you want to leave the company or you have been working here for about one year. I don't, I think you are too early to leave the company. You can tell them that, you know, um, this is how I feel. And if you're honest enough, uh, if the company appreciate you uh, and they feel that you have the skill set, right, they will be willing to pick you up. But if not, then you just have to suffer that two year (laughs) long. And once you reach that two year they say, okay, I'm going to look for a better place.
0: Yeah. But no, I think that that's a good piece of knowing knowing your self-worth and being more flexible if you're a fresh grad, just getting that Mm -hmm. experience down first, not worrying too much about compensation. Uh, mm, and then especially during the the conversation 19. will come yeah <laughs> I think that's yeah. very true
2: <laughs> yeah um,
0: but yeah I guess so transitioning out of work related stuff outside of work do you have time to work on you know your hobbies or your interests knowing that typically in Asia work-life balance is a bit harder to come around <laughs> so curious <laughs> to hear your experience
1: work-life balance for me personally I feel that it's definitely way harder because as a director, you're responsible for your company. So a lot of times you think about um, other things. Uh, Even outside of work, you will think about your work. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much something I can't escape from. So I wouldn't say that it might be the same experience for other kind of employees. Uh, Although I do do heard about, um, basically, a lot of people do share that, you know, they can't really escape from work. And my advice to them is like, at some point, you need to be slightly jaded about life, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you know when you are very enthusiastic and you have very bright ideas and um uh, very uh idealistic view, you tend to go all out, and that's where you get burned out. Mm. You know, so the point is that you have to understand that your work is not a meeting that define you. So even for myself, uh, I try to get that in as well, and uh, of course. For me to unwind, I play games, Uh, Mm -hmm. I read books, and um, I look up random YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. So that's how I unwind. Um, And I would say that, yeah, that was pretty much my hobby also. I do some uh, miniature painting for Warhammer 40k as well. I think you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much uh, what I do for my
0: hobby. Yeah. So uh, I guess out of all those hobbies, which one do you think brings you the most joy and you find the most fulfilling or relaxing? Or are they all kind of equal?
1: Hmm. Okay. I, I do enjoy playing games with uh my I I guess I should use the term fiancé now. Yeah. So uh hmm. and with my friends. So that, that's one thing. Um Although some of the most rewarding um, hobby that I like to do is uh, reading up on um, science or mm-hmm. watching YouTube videos on science, um, specifically on like physics, uh, history, um, or even outside of science would be like philosophy. Um, yeah, or that that would be the more rewarding one. Other things like novel sometimes it's also pretty interesting to start reading
0: short novels from time to time as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. it sounds sounds like the community aspect, uh, especially if you know if you can play with your fiance, <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> that aspect over there and playing with friends. And then with yep. the learning you know through videos and books, it's more on the knowledge acquisition aspect. And then something mm. interesting that can enrich kind of your life, even though you might not use the knowledge specifically, but you never know where that piece of knowledge or trivia can come in helpful.
1: Yep, definitely.
0: Gotcha. So I guess, what what are some of the things you've been reading right now, whether it's physics, philosophy, or history, that you think is interesting and you actually saw, like, kind of relevance and link to your everyday life?
1: Relevant and link to my everyday life? That's a (laughs) pretty hard question to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. I would say that... um,
0: or maybe some when of the I'm, lessons, right? It doesn't have to, like, you know, you learn this physics formula and be like, all right, I'm going to to design something now. But maybe some <laughs> of the lessons that you've learned, either through history or through philosophy that you found useful in your life.
1: Okay. How about, um, personally, let's talk about um, being optimistic, right? Because now it's mm. a pretty tough time for a lot of us. Um, and... To be very honest, like, you know, when I'm talking to my parents, uh, the older generation or when I'm talking to uh, some of the my other colleagues and things like that, they have the constant worry about COVID, COVID-19, you know, and what's the future and they're very worried about um, mm-hmm. like mutation, um, whether the vaccine is uh, good or bad and all these kind of thing, right? So having some kind of scientific background and understanding definitely is more helpful in staying optimistic mm. about the view and sharing these kind of ideas to people around you. Like, you know, when they're talking about mutation and things like that, and then we can say that, sure, it could, be, it could get very bad, but typically, as evolution of um, history, right, how evolution works, right, typically, it will get better. The symptoms will get better. Um, that's how the virus exists to stay. If they kill their host too fast, that variant, that strain, will die off. So typically, <laughs> it will get better. Not always the case, <laughs> but you know, if you are putting your bets on your odds, then yeah, you will get better. So science actually have a very optimistic view sometimes. Although, you know, sometimes when people are talking about like uh, environments and things like that, and things could get pretty bleak mm-hmm. in a certain sense, um, which is true if you keep going down this route. <laughs> but the thing is that you also have to understand that, you know, as human, uh, humanity as a whole, right? We have got, uh, we have gotten very far, and I feel that as a whole, uh, we are able to go through a lot of these kind of hurdles together. So one of the few things, like you know, um, reading out how the vaccine actually developed, and based on some kind of background that I've always been accumulating, right, it kind of inspires some kind of confidence about how um, our civilization as a whole can get somewhere further. Although time to time it might seem rather you know, humanity is kind of boom. Then after mm-hmm. a while, you're like, nah, actually, they're doing quite well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing. I didn't know that, you know, science was more positive in how they view certain things, but that's a good link to our data they especially given COVID right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. So some of these books, um, I'm not sure whether you heard, I think I've told you before, like Homo Deus, or yep. um, uh, Sapiens, and all this kind of thing, right? They have a more positive underlying um, and how science and humanity goes together. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, I guess kind of what what are your goals? I know COVID has changed a lot of people's plans and goals, but Mm. coming up in this year or next year, because it's the new year, 2021. (laughs) Did you have any Mm. goals or things you're looking forward to? Mm,
1: This year in particular, I guess, is still in a surviving mood because you kind of Mm -hmm. have to see where um, the global economy as well as the market is moving toward. Uh, in Singapore, we are kind of dependent on the global economy. So, uh, we do have to look at how this thing is working out, even though with the vaccine and all this kind of thing that is slowly spreading out. Yes. So, I would say that particularly for this year alone, it's about surviving. Um, that is the most immediate thing. Gotcha,
0: yeah. gotcha. And... I guess given, you know, we're both 31, turning 32 this year. Was there anything that you have advice for living your 20s differently that you would tell the youngsters?
1: (laughs) Living my 20s differently? Mm. I would say even before 20s, right? If I really have a chance to go back in time and tell my younger self, I would choose to go back in the time when I was was 13 and I have just met you. (laughs) Yeah. And then you tell them, please don't meet Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I think I would tell my younger self that, you know, um, go study your math and your science.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Because, of uh, course, um, yeah, go study your math, your science, really pay attention to your studies. Uh, when I was in century, um, which was which 15 years old and things like that, Remember, um, I mm-hmm. got into the art elective because typically the art elective is for those people that doesn't. Uh, what should I say?
0: Couldn't make it to the study. science electives.
1: I know, I know. Yeah, but I will also tell my future self, like you know, um, you would do pretty well in art as well. So also go into that. So yeah, so just enjoying all these kind of different studies, uh, academic. Um, of course, you would say, and I would still say now, that academic doesn't always transfer to real world um, thesis and experiences. I helped build a base and it it is something that I come to enjoy when I was in the university years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, you know, when we were really young, it's an in thing to be, to, to not study. So, that's something that I want to tell the younger generation, probably in the Teenagers years, right, is that when we'll enjoy your schooling days because that would be the most enjoyable time of
0: your life. Damn, you now really sound so like an old thing? man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, really to be honest, man, that during that period of time is like no stress, no 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 worries. <laughs> you know? And then when you go into your 20s, um really to go out and try, um, don't worry too much about uh getting the best job out there. Sometimes getting a bad boss or uh, uh, getting a bad experience, uh, which I did have go, uh, gone through, it kind of, sort of build your experience on how to manage and work with them, mm. as well as how to become slightly jaded. So that, In a good as way. Work, <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that is a very important thing to have la, because or else you will overwork yourself. You have to understand that there's a very realistic and practical uh, aspect Of life that uh, I think is a good experience to have. You know, if life is all happy and fun, really, that, there's nothing much to it. Uh. Mm. It needs to have some kind of uh, rigor, some kind of toughness, and hard ages that will make you a better person, um, give you a better idea uh, about what life in general is all about, about living itself. And yeah, so really, just you know, you meet a wall when hit it, when enjoy it. <laughs> Sounds kind of weird, but yeah, <laughs> enjoy yeah, it. Yeah,
0: no, I, I think that's true because if you don't have any struggles, there's no contrast to the good times. And if it's mm. just good times all the time, how do you know if that's a good time? Yeah. It's, like, it's like the incredible Swin Syndrome say if everyone is super, then no one is. If every experience is good, then no experience is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then you kind of wonder that, you know, then what is life, right? Yeah. Because every time you read on the books or you read on the newspaper and things are like that, you, you heard about all those people that go through a lot of hardship, Although you don't really want to go through a hardship, but you kind of want to experience a bit, you know, what mm. uh, the toughness of life is about. Because it can be
0: something that you look back on and it's a wonderful story to tell. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good piece of advice. Um, but yeah, I think we've we've come to the end of our podcast today. I think you're, yep. you're our oldest guest Ooh. that we have. So it's <laughs> good to hear from someone with a bit more wisdom behind the years. even though 30 is still Thank very you. young. <laughs> um, thanks, I, think, I think the piece of you know having the, a good type of jadedness so you don't burn out is a good way to think about things, especially from very eager college graduates who just start
1: working. <laughs>
0: yep.
1: But okay, don't get me wrong, right? At the start, be as eager as you want it's just after that you need to develop a little lead <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah and then Jada doesn't mean you don't do your work it's just that you yeah, you, you exactly. watch out for your mental health <laughs> and that's not an enough. excuse <laughs> <laughs> not an excuse okay right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. thanks again Yongsheng.
1: <laughs> thanks a lot Andrew for taking care of me
0: <laughs> thank you again for joining us on this episode of As Asians I have been your host Andrew Tan and I hope you learned something from today's episode If you or someone you know would like to be part of the show, please contact us at asasianspodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a like, or a review on your preferred podcast platform. And I hope you had an amazing time with us today.